1: Welcome to Dear Hank and John, or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, that little light in my car went on that told me that my tire pressure was low. Is this a thing that you have now? Oh, sure, of course. Yeah, I didn't have that when we were when we were youths, but it seems to be a thing now. Yeah, and so I went to fill up my tires, and I pulled up, and I was shocked to discover. That it costs money now. It used to be free all everywhere I went, and I went to one that cost money, and d- I, and I found out why they cost money now. John, do you know why? Why? Inflation. <laughs> I mean, that's not <laughs> was it worth it? That's not that's why they cost old. money, and it was that was <laughs> no. pretty tortured, but.
0: I'm taking my laughs where I can get them right now, Hank. I'm happy to provide low-quality laughs. I mean, yeah, the lowest. Hank, before we get to questions from our listeners, I think we need to acknowledge something that happened in our last episode right Mm. at the top, which is that I spoke with a Southern accent that was um, very... Divisive, I would say. <laughs> lots of people were surprised that I could speak with a Southern accent at all, given my complete inability to speak with any other accent. And lots of people uh, wrote to ask that I continue to record the podcast in the Southern accent all the time, which which I'm not going to do. Mm-hmm. And then. All of this distracted from the core takeaway from the last episode of the podcast, which is that your British accent, Mm -hmm. especially when you are saying compost, (laughs) but also when you are saying literally everything, is a national embarrassment. And I say that at a time when there are some pretty serious national embarrassments.
1: Look, nobody has... I have not seen a single message yet. Yeah. Well, maybe a single. Maybe... Some, a few, maybe a couple messages regarding my British pronunciation of compost, which I still am not clear on. Wow. People are trying to tell me how to do it, but they are incapable of doing so. John, do you think that by the time we're recording this that TikTok will be owned by Microsoft? Is it happening? Has it happened?
0: I don't know, but I do know that I made another TikTok. I made my third TikTok. I believe third mm-hmm. a- and final. I
1: I'm a little bit... <laughs> You just wanted to finish out the row.
0: Yeah, like I'm a little bit like Jay-Z when it comes to TikTok. I keep announcing my retirement and then having a surprise comeback. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm I think I'm John really... Green, the Jay-Z of TikTok. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> However, I do, just like Jay-Z, keep releasing bangers. I mean, my most recent yeah. TikTok,
1: not to brag, is doing very well on the TikTok. Well, now I have to check and see how well it's doing. You've oh. Yeah, you've not made any bad TikToks. They've all been very good. That's the
0: benefit of only making like one TikTok per month.
1: Well, but now you have a lot to live up to. You have to like continue that's the what, streak of high quality TikToks. Yeah, that's why you retire, Hank. Uh, you got to go out on top. Well, I won't, John. I know I won't. you're going to
0: you're going to ride you're going to ride that TikTok <laughs> roller coaster all the way back down to the bottom. But John,
1: eventually the roller coaster goes back up. That's what they do.
0: Yeah. So I made a joke about this in my book The Fault in Our Stars where the main character or one of the main characters in the in the very beginning of the book says I'm on a roller mm-hmm. coaster that only goes up. Mm-hmm. Like the the reader is supposed to understand that um the that that is an unsustainable proposition. (laughs) But a lot of people have concluded either that roller coasters only go up or that they, after going down, always go back up, all of which is incorrect. Roller coasters end up down. They end up on the ground. That's how you get onto them.
1: It's not a good metaphor because you, you, you end up where you start you don't go you don't end up down
0: no it's a great metaphor because he says i'm on a roller coaster that only goes up and in fact he's on a roller coaster that's doing exactly what every roller coaster does which is right. that it starts at nothing and ends at nothing like it's 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 birth <laughs> which to is death.
1: what we i guess that is what we all do you're right yeah, you're right that's and and a I, roller a
0: roller coaster you start out not born uh-huh. and you end up not
1: alive. (laughs) Yeah. So start, end point is the same. And unlike, like, I like a roller coaster that has lots of twists and turns, but would it be okay if in my life it was just a nice steady decline
0: with no big loop-de-loops? Yeah, I mean, one of my many complaints about the roller coaster of life is that it's um, completely in the dark and I'm not able to see, like, even six inches in front of me, so I have no idea when I'm about to fall off a cliff or when things are about Mm -hmm. to, like, suddenly improve. Or when things are just going to go twisty, turny, and I don't know which way is up. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of complaints about the roller coaster that we call Life Hank, but we're not here to analyze the often misinterpreted metaphors in The Fault in Our Stars. We're here to answer questions from our listeners, including this one from Carter, who writes, Dear John and Hank, a few years ago, my dad was just minding his own business when a giant ice ball fell from the sky and landed about Whoa. 12 feet away from him. We believe it was a meteor." And after doing oh research, goodness. they can apparently just fall from space at any given moment. How do I not live in constant fear of an ice meteor crashing through my house to murder me?
1: Ah, uh, well, this is a very this is a very roller coaster situation, isn't it? Yeah, where you think you just go on a long study, but it turns out it's space mountain and everything's in the dark, so you don't know what's what's coming. Is it a mega cryo meteor? Is a mega cryo meteor a real thing, Hank? It is,
0: but fairly rare, right? I mean, I feel like I would have heard about them if they were regularly yes. uh, entering people's homes.
1: Yeah, um, there have been 50 recorded since the year 2000. It's, it's, it sounds like it's a thing from space because it has the word meteor in it, but yeah. it is in fact just basically a very, very large hail hail. A very large hail. Oh, but they, they there's also a possibility that this is something that formed on a aircraft of some kind and then broke off the aircraft. Oh God, that's a thing that happens sometimes. Oh God, but it but apparently it can happen naturally where it's just like it's just a huge hailstone. Wow. Well, to get back to Carter's question, I think that you did it. <laughs> you had your mega cryo meteor. <laughs> yeah, you you dodged your one meteor. That will ever be near you. I remember this is, huge. this is great news. Yeah,
0: yeah, you did it. I remember our grandfather, Papa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he survived a plane crash. And whenever anybody would express any kind of anxiety about being on an airplane, Papa would say, "Oh no, it's fine. I I survived my plane crash." <laughs> So we're yeah. we're good. We have. What well, you
1: think this is going to happen twice? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> I I worried a lot about having a having a plane crash, and then I did have
1: one, and I lived, and uh, now we're good. There is a, a a very small, and it's probably this is probably a statistical fluke, but there is a very small um, statistical significance to the reality that uh, you are more likely to be struck by lightning once you've been struck by lightning once, yes. regardless of your lifestyle, right? Which is. Like it was it'd be like one thing, like there was a guy, the guy was struck by lightning the most times. He worked as like a forest ranger and he worked in like towers looking for fires. And so like that guy, yeah, I get it. He's gonna get struck by lightning more likely than the average person. But it apparently regardless of lifestyle lightning becomes more interested in you but that does not i do not think that is the case for for airplanes i also don't think it's the case for lightning which i think this is a statistical fluke
0: right but it's definitely not the it's case a very small sample size extremely small and it's definitely not the case for megacryo meteors
1: yeah uh, so, but also so cool though that's really cool yeah i would rather have a megacryo meteor land near me than not Hmm. So I'm going to take the other side of that proposition.
0: (laughs) I I would rather have a long and fulfilling and healthy life where I never come into visual contact with a large ball Mm. of ice falling out of the sky. Yeah. No, I want that story. See, I think that's the difference between you and me. I would like my roller coaster to be as flat and Mm. slow
1: and boring as possible. I can't believe it's called a mega cryo meteor. Yeah, that's just an exciting name. Yeah, it's very good name. I'm glad your dad's okay, Carter. This next question comes from Gracie who asks, Dear Hank and John, why do bugs and moths like fake lights so much? What would they have buzzed toward before there were lights? What will they buzz towards after? Not an orange ocean, but a gray sea. I don't get that joke. It's not an orange
0: ocean, it's a gray sea. That's very good, actually. Oh,
1: that's so good! So good, so
0: good. <laughs> people's people's puns with their names are so uncommonly good, and I think the reason is that we all think about our names so much, right? Mm-hmm. There's a great, yeah, I'm a- <laughs> There's a There's a great page, Lewis poem in their book Space Struck, and part of it goes. I think about how hard it is for me to believe in the first Adam, because if Adam had the power to name everything, everything would be named Adam. And that's (laughs) so true. Yeah. So the reason our puns about our name are so good is that we just think about our frickin' names all the time. And if I could name everything, everything would be named John.
1: Yeah. People ask me all the time, like, how do you name a main character April May and then never, like, acknowledge it in the book? Yeah. It's like, it never comes up that she has a punny name. And I'm like, in what way does it need to be? Like, her behavior... Her entire life is very clearly like a rebellion against her parents wanting her to be like cute and adorable and her wanting to be taken seriously. right? Like, I don't, I'm not going to say it out loud.
0: Yeah, no, I should have put an asterisk (laughs) after that uh, I'm on a roller coaster that only goes up thing and explained it in the footnotes. (laughs) John, so do you think you know why bugs fly toward lights? I know the essentials of why bugs fly toward lights. Yeah. You don't. Oh, okay, great.
1: Why do they? We don't know. Oh, I love it. (laughs) I thought they flew toward lights because they flew toward the moon. No, uh, it's it's this is a this is one of the guesses and it is not the only one. Oh, Um, and it's a it's a it's a little bit of a flimsy guess because they can't get to the moon. I know. I've thought about that before (laughs) (laughs) because uh, the idea is that they're using it for migration, maybe. But but many moths who do this don't migrate. And the other idea is that like they will collect at the moon and that will Uh, Allow them to be near each other, but that's not how it works. If you fly toward the moon, you don't end up in the same place. You don't fly any closer to any other moth. Like, yeah, right. Like, if we all go toward the moon, we don't all end up in a centralized location. Um, So, (laughs) although that is a beautiful idea,
0: I have to say. (laughs) Like, that's it's like, yeah, it's like the other end of the rainbow. It's like reaching the end of the rainbow. If we all had the moon directly above our heads, we would all be in the same place.
1: But alas, Mm -hmm. Uh, that a little bit worked only. Only during the 1960s and 70s, where we all, America, collectively moved toward the moon. And that did bring us a little bit together, but not as much as you might think. Yeah. But in the case of moths, there is also the guess that it just appears to them, if there is a light, that there must be an unobstructed pathway. And so. That's a good place to go toward because it means that there's not a lot of stuff around because in a natural situation at night, if you're seeing any light, that means that you're going to be going through something towards some source of light. Another guess is the flower theory, that many flowers reflect UV light and they want to go towards flowers. And so they're Mm. just moving towards lights. Another one, and I wanted to find out more about this because this was the one that I liked the most, but it's. I only found in one article from 1977, so this can't be it, but I I want to know if it is. So reach out to me if you know about this. There's a possibility that female moths chemiluminesce, so like a firefly, they, they weakly luminesce in the far infrared. Mm. So they're like a, an invisible firefly, basically. And that attracts males to them, and light bulbs and fires and candle flames all release... Far infrared radiation as well, oh. so maybe maybe it's that like moths are fireflies, but no one notices except other moths, which I would love. I but only one study from 1977 that I find talking about this. So we don't know why moths go toward flames, but we do know that they do do that, and male moths will attempt to mate with candles until they die. Well, that is all fascinating, Hank. And it reminds me that when I was
0: researching fireflies for my recent Vlogbrothers video about fireflies, I learned that there are many hundreds of species of fireflies that do not light up. And do you know what Mm. they are called? No. This is my favorite thing. They are called dark fireflies.
1: (gasps) How did you not put that in the video? Uh,
0: Well, you know, the video turned out to be about other stuff. That's often the oh case when you, you know, gosh. when you're researching and you find good stuff and you're like, oh, maybe I'll just use that in the podcast someday.
1: And I did. Or I'll just have it in my
0: brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be for me, right? But now it's for everyone. It is all. It is also possible to to learn
1: something and and not share it. <laughs> that's not. That's not for me. Yeah. And, the the other day I said I, I wanted to explain um, microorganisms to Oren, and so I so I said, "Do you know how animals and plants are both alive?" And he said, "Never talk to me." <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I remember it's like in first grade or whenever kids start to learn about like what's living and what's not living w- you know we would try to like categorize things into living things and not living things and then slowly i realized that like this is a little bit of a false distinction right like yeah we should probably see this more as a continuum than as a, uh, a-, a- as an on-off switch yeah because like most of the definitions of of life are insufficient
1: Yes. And and, and in, in many times they actually intentionally exclude things in order to make it f- mesh with how we see the world rather than actually trying to right. find some root thing that is what life is, because the root thing is actually really unclear, though, I, like. Because of who I am, I feel like better definitions than the the thing that frustrates me, though, is that they teach kids these like five qualities of life. Yeah. And this is the definition of life. But that's just like it's just like a categorization to make stuff fit into something. And it's not it has nothing. It's nothing. There's no explanatory power. It like isn't a theory. It's just like here have this life and-
0: responds to stimulus. Right.
1: Yeah. And it reproduces. And I'm like, well, I don't think life has to reproduce. That's a ridiculous notion. I think that you could have a thing that's alive and doesn't reproduce. It seems to happen all the time. Well, not just that, but also you have lots of things that we
0: say aren't alive that do reproduce. So,
1: yeah, well, that's it's the idea is that like every one of the categories has to be satisfied. Yeah. Um, And it's like you keep adding new categories so that it like so that you like are excluding things from the list.
0: Yeah, we really don't want viruses
1: to be alive for some reason. Like, we're really, uh... Well, yeah. I mean, the the idea that this is like a... And I, I I actually think that viruses are alive. From my definition, they are alive. But there are reasons why, like, biologists feel like they don't fit into the definition of life.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get all those reasons. But also, when I had viral meningitis, I can report mm-hmm. that it was alive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that a, a living thing is is anything that is able to sustain itself far from chemical equilibrium. That's what it is to me. That's a lovely definition. Why don't we use that one? I don't know. Lots of lots of chemists do, but they're like biologists are weird about it.
0: <laughs> I kind of like the idea that of death being a return to chemical equilibrium.
1: That's actually that's 100 percent what it is. I know, but I've never thought of it that way. And like life is just like is just like sustained existence outside of chemical equilibrium. And it's wild. Like what an amazing thing to have exist. Like what a what a weird chemical system. Like it's all just still just chemicals. Yeah. Still just chemicals. Oh boy. All right. That's not enough to freak you out.
0: Welcome to Mind Blowers with Hank and John. It's just chemicals. Next we're going to be talking about how many stars there are in the universe. So many. Whoa. Whoa. There's, whoa. whoa. Fall to your knees in awe, and, oh. and there, I have you ever fallen to your knees in awe? I have twice. I've twice too. Oh, was one time in front of the world's largest wooden crucifix, which you visited as a joke, and <laughs> were like, "Ha ha ha!" It's the world's largest wooden crucifix, and then for some reason you were on your knees in
1: tears, and you were like, "Oh, cr- crud." <laughs> No, no, neither were the words. One was one was stars. One was like the yeah. like I was a teenager and it was stars, and I was like, oh yeah. wow, stars. The other one was a donut,
0: <laughs> like a really good donut.
1: It was so good. Fell to my knees in the middle of the farmer's market.
0: You know, you just the thing is those those moments are coming. Uh, those moments in your in life are out there. Yeah, and they are coming. Maybe I mean and for be some, open to them. Yeah, for some people, for some people, it happened today. You know, yeah. like I, mm-hmm. those are those are the like random moments I'm thinking of. And then, of course, there are the moments of wonderful joy that you you know might be coming. And so they don't feel like completely out of nowhere, but they're still really lovely. Like when my children were born, when uh, AFC Wimbledon won the League Two playoff final at Wembley,
1: uh, things like that. And hopefully I will have one of those moments pretty soon when Mars Perseverance rover lands on Mars. Uh, But we'll talk about that more in a bit. Also, when the James Webb Space Telescope launches and deploys safely. That'll be a great day. Just when that happens. Oh, God.
0: I'm really excited. Gonna have so many good pictures. This is gonna be some high-quality space pictures out there.
1: That's gonna be so good. All right, Hank, oh my God. Okay, okay, let's
0: get back to answering questions for our listeners. This yeah. next question is from Lily, who writes Dear John and Hank, what happened to John's Edgar Allan Poe bust, and yeah. what has John been doing with it in quarantine if he
1: still has it? <laughs> 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 I, you know, just for clarity, I have a, I have a great many objects that I have done nothing with during quarantine.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is the summary of, of what the po-bust has been up to. So my <laughs> novel, Paper Towns, won an Edgar Award, uh-huh. uh, which is an award given to mystery novels, which Paper Towns wanted to be. And so I was delighted <laughs> uh, to get the award, even if it isn't totally a mystery. And... Um, they give you a Poe bust when you win this award. It's a beautiful, really lovely bust of Edgar Allan Poe. And I made a Vlogbrothers video a long, long time ago mm-hmm. uh, called What Do You Do With a Poe Bust that imagined that I needed to, some form of utility for this Poe bust. But then, of course, what I did with it was I put it on on a bookshelf where it has been ever since, and I occasionally dust it. Yeah. But it makes me happy. It, I, I enjoy seeing it every now and then.
1: Yeah, I don't think I have any awards Really? Uh, I mean I I happen to know
0: I I have a couple of awards that we co-won. So I know you've won some. For instance, you won an
1: Emmy. <laughs> I did, but I didn't get a statue. <laughs>
0: uh, didn't you get Remember when we won like the Blogger's Choice Award in 2007? You don't have that? <laughs>
1: uh, I we <laughs>
0: But we also won a shorty award at some point for like our high quality Twitter usage. <laughs> <laughs> Thank god! We've won some. Okay, all right. If there's like, I don't know what the version of EGOT is for, <laughs> like yeah, web video tier YouTube influencers, but <laughs> we must be closing in on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always wanted to do like a lifetime achievement award at VidCon, but we never we never got that happening. We wanted to give it to some some folks. Who
0: would be the first person to receive the YouTube lifetime achievement award?
1: Not YouTube online video and the f- oh. I think the first person should be the guys behind Homestar Runner because I think that they were the first web video people.
0: It was certainly the first web video series I loved. Yeah.
1: That would be nice. Just want to say thanks to them. Yeah. Cuz gosh. John, do you, what should you do with the po should the pobust have its own TikTok?
0: No, the last thing that should I need. Should it have adventures? No. No, it should stay on the mantle where it won't get injured.
1: Okay. And then and then what's the long what's the long-term outcome for the po bust? Oh, the
0: end game for the po bust?
1: Mhm. Well, I assume um that it will be wait, John, it will be
0: the po dust <laughs> super long term. <laughs> it will return to chemical equilibrium.
1: <laughs> it is at Chemical equilibrium. You don't know that, um, Hank. You don't but, but know. But it Yeah, it's still... You don't know what's going on inside of its mind. <laughs> John, this next question comes from Mags, who asks, Dear Hank and John, as I'm writing this, I'm 19 years old. I'm going to be 20 in about a week. I've been diagnosed with severe ulcerative colitis uh, for two years, and due to recent developments, I'm going to be having surgery to remove my entire colon within the next... Two weeks. I'm very nervous, though I know that it will eventually improve my quality of life. Uh, but nobody will be allowed into the hospital to visit me because of COVID. I was supposed to have classes online this fall, which I was excited for, but due to the surgery, I have to drop the whole semester. My question is as somebody whose feelings of self worth are very closely tied to their feelings of productivity, how do I keep myself from being completely useless while I'm laid up for the next two to three months without being able to, quote, do anything? Everyone's telling me that recovering from a major surgery definitely counts as doing something, but my brain will not believe this. Hope that you are both doing well despite the weirdness of the world's surgeries and self-esteem mags. What a great question, and what a hard thing to be having happen right now. Yeah. First Like the fact that you have to go in and do this and wake up and you know, healthcare providers will be there and they will be supportive, but to not have friends and family there, it's really hard. And I I know that it's a a strain on a lot of people right now. And but like it's the it is the right thing to do and it's the safe thing to do. So thank you for living with that reality.
0: Yeah, but it is really hard. As far as the recovery goes, it is true that taking care of yourself Is is. doing something. And I remember when I had uh, meningitis, part of my frustration was like, oh, I feel like I should be working or I'm going to be behind on stuff. On some level, though, if you don't if you don't let that go, all you're doing is you're like yelling at yourself about something that, that isn't your fault and that you can't you can't do anything about. And so for me, it was all about trying to find the things that I could do that I could also enjoy and allowing myself, giving myself permission to enjoy those things mm-hmm. insofar as it was possible while also still having like a constant
1: crushing, soul-sucking headache. And that's, I mean, with pain, it's very hard. And I know that UC can be extremely painful um, and hopefully this will... Make it so that you will have a higher quality of life and that that will make you more capable of more things than than you have been capable of in a while. But in general, when it comes to chronic illness, like it does lower your productivity. And like, this is a thing that is okay, And like, this, this idea and this comparison of, of one's self to one's previous abilities or one's abilities to other people's abilities, like it's only ever destructive. And one thing that you might be able to do in this process is get a little bit away from that mentality because I think like that's actually really important to separate yourself from a little bit. Now, I do feel productive sometimes when I am just discovering stuff. It allows us to enjoy things more in the future And it gives us a a sort of like a broader base of ways to discuss creative stuff with our peers, which I think is also one of the great joys in life, is to talk about great stuff with great people. That's such a great point, and it's so important. And it also
0: reminds me of this experience I had in 2006 when I had this horrible failed series of uh, lower jaw surgeries that resulted in me being in bed all the time and in just, like, awful, awful pain until eventually it got resolved. And during that time is when I became a super fan of Lonely Girl 15. Mm-hmm. I fell all the way down the, the early internet video rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't become this, like, passionate, deeply engaged member of that community... We would never have started Vlogbrothers. And not only that, like Vlogbrothers wouldn't have had its initial like 200 viewers, all of whom also Mm -hmm. came from that fan community. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking during that part of my life, oh, I'm being so unproductive. I can't believe I'm not writing. I can't believe, you know, like I'm wasting all this time because my my mouth hurts so much that I just can't think straight like I can't write fiction. But as it turned out, I was doing something that was very productive to my future self. Yeah, and you never
1: really know. No, you just follow
0: curiosity. You try to learn, you try to stay engaged, but then you also have to give yourself permission to just zone out sometimes because it is, Yeah, I mean, that that kind of recovery is really- it's work. It's work, that's exactly what it is. Yeah.
1: And you gotta do the work. You gotta do the work. This is a thing that I tell myself about my health all the
0: time. Yeah, by the way, if Hank sounds like he's preaching to you, he's not, he's preaching to himself right now.
1: Yeah, I have ulcerative colitis, and if I don't take care of myself, it gets worse. You got to do the work like getting colon cancer screenings, which I just did. And if you are at high risk for colon cancer, please get screened. Get screened. We
0: have a friend who died earlier this year. Get screened how was your colonoscopy by the way
1: it was great um i got i got told off by the nurse because the moment i came out of my anesthesia i started recording everything and no. she was like you can't you can't record mm. video in the hospital and i was like but i'm uh but what i want to and she's like you can't i gotta make a tiktok <laughs> there's there's rules i'm sorry <laughs> i gotta yeah
0: i i love that hank is here telling people like, you know, give all you need to your recovery, focus on yourself, do the work.
1: <laughs> I wasn't making content.
0: I was just screwing around. The moment he wakes up, he's like, hello, TikTok. It's me, <laughs> Hank Green. I know that I know that y'all really, really need to hear
1: from a 40-year-old man from his hospital bed as he recovers from his colonoscopy. I didn't TikTok from the hospital. I actually haven't watched those videos. They might be good. Who knows? (laughs) John, actually, that reminds me that this is this podcast is brought to you by colonoscopy TikTok. Colonoscopy TikTok. It is one of the is one of the least (laughs) visited areas of TikTok. You find yourself on colonoscopy TikTok only very rarely, but count yourself blessed if you do.
0: Well, whatever it takes to get more people to do the appropriate screening I am in favor of, including and not limited to colonoscopy TikTok. Today's podcast is also brought to you, of course, by Mega Cryo Meteors. Mega Cryo Meteors landing 12 feet away from you once every two to five years. Oh,
1: Okay. And this podcast is also brought to you by dark fireflies. Dark fireflies, definitely a metaphor for something.
0: And finally, today's podcast is brought to you
1: by the Po Dust. The Po Dust, it, it's where we're all going. John, there's also a Project for Awesome message. It's from Linda from Texas to my daughter, Caroline. I feel lucky that we remain so close as you turn 18, graduate, and leave for college. I'll miss listening to dear Hank and John together, so I thought it fitting to ask them to tell you how amazed I am at this person you are as you continue to grow into and become more and more yourself. Also, I totally heard John's voice in my head as I wrote this. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's fine linda i don't
0: mind i am amazed at the person you are as well caroline as you continue to grow into and become more and more yourself and i totally heard john's voice in my head as i wrote this (laughs) there you go there you
1: go that was really lovely that is lovely Yeah. All right, Hank. We have a question
0: from Aubrey who writes, Dear John and Hank, I know that we probably shouldn't, but could we let off fireworks in space? Uh there's no reason not to. Well, first off, I don't agree with Aubrey at all that we probably shouldn't. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things we probably shouldn't be doing right now on <laughs> Earth. And I would think that setting off fireworks in space would be the least of our concerns.
1: Yeah. No, I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, and we could. Could we? And would they blow up yeah. without uh, any oxygen? Yeah. So here's, this is this is weird, actually. So yes, they would blow up, but they would look different. So uh, the blowing up of the firework, it, all of the oxygen is tied up in the fuel, and that's why it can blow up so fast, is because the oxygen is, is chemically in there. It's why gunpowder does not need oxygen to burn the the oxygen is in the gunpowder but it would look very different because the the stuff that is colorful and that shines that stuff is oxidizing in the air so it's hot metals usually and they are oxidizing and, and burning so you would get an explosion but you'd have to d- you'd have to design the firework for space to have some way of being visible without relying on the oxidation of the atmosphere. And you would have to obviously have a lot of them if you were able if you wanted to see them from earth where most of the people are.
0: Well, I for one think that we should focus all of humanity's resources around space fireworks. That is the future.
1: That seems like a little bit of a not a John Green take, but I'll take it. I and love space. It's not that I don't love space,
0: it's that I don't want humans to go to Mars before 2028 so that we could rename this podcast Dear John
1: and Hank and I can win the biggest bet of my life. So like when I made that bet I had this like feeling that we wouldn't still be making the podcast in 2028 and now I no longer have that feeling. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to keep making the podcast regardless of whether you do <laughs> because
0: I I think the funniest possible outcome is that we make the podcast and then we make one episode in 2028 of our hit new <laughs> podcast Dear John and Hank and then we retire. We go out on top right. like me with TikTok.
1: I like it. But then we do have to do the whole Uh, announcement, press releases, new logo, all of that, just for the
0: one episode. Exactly. The more we go in on that one episode, the funnier the joke is. Yeah. Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we do have one more quick question. It's from Julie, who writes, Dear John and Hank, do you decide what your Vlogbrothers video will contain and then force an all-star lyric to fit it? Or do you decide what to vlog about by selecting an all-star lyric? I I don't know What's, what this question is are, in reference
1: to. Yeah, what are you talking about?
0: I don't understand the question, but we've received a lot of questions like it, and I I find it odd that people keep asking us about this 19-year-old American pop song.
1: Yeah, what is what is what is All Stars?
0: I assume it's the reference to the Smash Mouth song. You know, hey, now you're an All Star. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't even have enough. I've even heard that song. I certainly don't think about it very often. So no. No idea what you're talking about Julie. Let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon.
1: John, this weekend Mars news perseverance has left the planet, <laughs> leaving us to contend with the mess that we have made of things here. It is free <laughs> it is free of us which is ideal for it, I think. Uh but also providing us with the uh, comforting knowledge that we are capable of great things like sending science experiments to other planets. Uh it launched early for in my time like five 50 in the morning. So I didn't see it live. I
0: did. Good. I did. I woke up early and uh, watched it. It was incredibly exciting.
1: Yes. I, it's so yes. nerve wracking. Like the level it's so of scary watching live, ugh, ugh. the
0: level of anxiety you can just mm-hmm. see on all the people's faces that. Yeah. It's like seven years of your life or whatever. And it's on top of a container of <laughs> jet fuel. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just the
1: biggest bomb <laughs> ever made. Um, it is, basically. It's like
0: standing on top of a bomb and it's like, but don't worry, like, your yeah. work isn't going to blow up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so uh, there were a couple of problems. So these were scary, but have all worked themselves out. There was a communications issue where signals weren't being processed correctly. NASA uses what's called the Deep Space Network, which is a cool name, to communicate with the spacecraft. But because the rover hadn't gone particularly far into space yet, it was basically just like screaming into the receivers. Uh, That issue has come up with other Mars launches, and luckily all it took was some tweaking of network settings for network engineers to be able to correctly process the spacecraft signals. There was also a temperature issue where parts of the spacecraft got colder than expected as it passed through the Earth's shadow. Mm. So this is good information to have. Um, you know, we'll be ready for it next time. And when it got that cold, the spacecraft put itself into a safe mode, uh, which is a thing that you hear a lot about when you learn about space missions. They're go- they go into safe mode a lot because they have basically, like, pretty pretty uh, low barrier for going into safe mode. They don't want anything to get too bad before you go, like, okay, like, just... Simplest process as possible to keep this thing alive. Uh, but then it got warm again and it went back to normal. So we are we are out of safe mode, in normal mode. Everything seems to be going well with Perseverance rover on its way to Mars. Very exciting. It was so cool to see. And I
0: mean, I know there's a lot of hurdles still to go, of course, because it's a 300 million mile journey or whatever, but mm-hmm. oh, it's got to be a huge relief for all the people who worked so hard for that moment. Yeah. To, uh, to get it into space as hoped for. Very exciting. The news from AFC Wimbledon is, is far less dramatic. Um, <laughs> but I will say in the past, Hank, if you look at the whole like 110 year history of, of Wimbledon and AFC Wimbledon, you'll note that often when we have had the most success is when we have played two forward players, one of whom is small, and the other of mm. whom is gigantic. This, <laughs> this strike partnership, a giant and a tiny person, mm-hmm. is really at the core of all the success <laughs> Wimbledon has ever enjoyed. <laughs> like, And for the last couple of years, we haven't had a gigantic person. We had Otto Bielak and Fenwa, the strongest, largest, mm-hmm. uh, and most impressive uh, person in professional football, there is a strong rumor that a striker from the fourth tier of English football named Ollie Palmer will be coming to AFC Wimbledon. And if that tr- turns out to be true, it means that we will have a relatively small person up front in the form of Joe mm-hmm. Feed the Pig Piggot and mm-hmm. Ollie Palmer, who is flipping gigantic for a, for a <laughs> soccer player. He's six foot five. That's that's big boy. Yeah, uh-huh. he's big. He's strong. He's tough. He's 28 years old. He's exactly the kind of guy who I think could come in and make a big difference. Now, he doesn't score that many goals, but the main thing that you need your gigantic guy to be anyway is a problem. And I think he would be a <laughs> wonderful problem.
1: every
0: Anytime any team would play uh, AFC Wimbledon when Akinfenwa Fenwa was there, they would always say, like, well, a- Akinfenwa Fenwa poses a problem <laughs> because, like, <laughs> how do you, you know, like, how do you mark someone who's t- literally twice as big as any of the defenders? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at a picture of Ali Palmer right now, uh, and he looks to have been photoshopped in. That's his size.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like well, all the other players are around him. <laughs> yeah, when, exactly. When he's with his teammates, he's on a, he's like literally on a different level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I really hope we sign him because it's it's time that we had a gigantic person again uh, leading leading the line.
1: He looks kind of Chris Evansy too. He's handsome. He is handsome.
0: All right, Hank. Well, thank you for potting with me. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to send us your questions, we really appreciate it. You can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com.
1: This podcast is edited by Joseph tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosianna Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Debuki trucker The music you're hearing now is by The Great Gunnarolla. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be me. awesome.